Global supply chain and logistics industry leaders gather, connect, and exchange ideas at IHS Market's annual TPM conference organized by the JOC. In our new podcast series, Beyond TPM, we keep those conversations going, taking a deep dive into critical, rapidly evolving topics and the insights uncovered this year at TPM 21. I'm Alessandra Barrett, the JOC's Senior Editor for Special Projects. Today I'm speaking with Monica Trilch, Go-To-Market Senior Director at Infor, the world's third largest enterprise resource planning software company, where she works with the Infor Nexus supply chain platform. Thanks for joining me today, Monica. Thanks for having me, Alessandra. I'm excited to hear your thoughts on the larger impact that 2020 will have on our industry because your vantage point is a unique one, both because of your diversity of customers and your own background, which spans domestic trucking and now international ocean shipping. So when you consider the ways that thinking about freight spend management, negotiating rates and jockeying for available capacity have shifted. What high-level changes do you see having staying power and significantly altering our business? So we've been putting some some thought into that. Um, in fact, I've had a couple of, of sessions lately with uh, both internal resources at Infor and also with some of our, our customers on the Infor Nexus side uh, about freight spend management, about the concept of becoming a shipper of choice, um, and uh, a couple of other topics. Um, and what strikes me first off uh, is the uh, the contrast between the world of ocean or international uh, shipping and logistics and the world I came from before I joined uh, Infor, which was primarily trucking in North America. So in the trucking world, uh, specifically in, in, in truckload, um, you see sort of three to five year cycles where uh, the pricing, negotiating, rating pressure shifts from where it uh, predominantly lies in the hands of the uh, shippers. They have the balance of power when it comes to dictating rates. Uh, And because of tight capacity for whatever reason, that balance of power and pricing shifts over to the carriers uh, on, on the trucking side for a while. Rates go up, prices go up, and the concept of suddenly becoming uh, a shipper of choice, of somehow making over your shipping operations so that a carrier is more likely to choose your freight over somebody else's freight when capacity is tight, uh, resurfaces in the, the trucking world uh, from time to time. How does that compare to what you're seeing on the ocean side? In the ocean shipping world, um, the, the, the average costs have been so low for so long, probably over a decade um, prior to 2020, um, that I think a lot of emphasis, a lot of attention on that first mile of transport, on the optimization of your inbound freight, Uh, on investing in technology for visibility about that freight, that all kind of fell on the back burner because it was cheap enough, there was always more than enough capacity in the the industry, the uh, 
shippers always had, at least the larger shippers always had negotiating leverage going into contract seasons. Uh, and it was only kind of since the, the bankrupt, uh, bankruptcy of, of Hanjin shipping, I think, that we saw the rise of some new alliances, a little more concentration of, um, uh, of market power in the hands of uh, fewer alliances, the, the top six uh, ocean carriers increased their market share, and there was the beginning of more discipline about managing freight capacity, of being able to exert some control over the pricing, the rating environment uh, in which they could engage with with uh, with shippers. Um, when the pandemic kicked in, um, and all of the carriers. And frankly, lots of companies just anticipated there was going to be severe economic contraction for a while. Um, the carriers began blanking sailings, pulling capacity out and so forth. Um, on the other side, uh, the shippers also cut back a lot of their supply chain, particularly the logistics staff, just thinking that they weren't going to be shipping as much, people weren't going to be buying as much. And then the middle of the year came around and the consumer spending surge um, kind of kicked into high gear and suddenly volumes out of Asia into North America and into Europe not only recovered to the 2019 levels, but shot past them. And in, you're seeing historic highs uh, at ports of Rotterdam and in the UK uh, for the uh, container volumes that, that they're dealing with on a daily basis. And we've all heard about the West Coast issues for congestion and so forth. Um, so I see these um, some of these temporary disruptions, the, the loss of capacity, uh, the congestion at ports, the, the lack of labor at ports and terminals to process boxes, um, to get the full containers out the door, get the empties back and, and move back. That's going to eventually shake itself out. Shippers have to realize that uh, even coming out of this um, difficult sort of pandemic characterized environment. It's not going to be the same environment, not the same carriers that they've been working with uh, in the past. Their negotiating position will be different. Um, the carriers have shown they're capable of far more self-discipline around capacity. They also know how uh, critical they are in uh, global supply chains, but of course, I think they've always known that. I think what's changed on the shipper side is that at a very high executive level now, um, uh, companies who might have uh, pushed off the ocean and air shipping to uh, a small logistics team somewhere, and we're just focusing on their last mile and their parcel costs and, you know, how do we deal with the Amazon competition and how do we uh, make sure that we get to our customers within two days, how do we absorb free shipping that our competitors are offering, you know, all of that focus on final mile that's, that's characterized um, logistics for the past several years. Those executives are suddenly aware of how utterly dependent they are on the functioning of their first mile supply chains. They can't execute that final mile, that last mile, unless they have goods coming in uh, and can see where they are from the first mile side of things. And so how do you see that focus changing internal strategy? Uh, I think that awareness of the importance of first mile, of, uh, of strategies and tools and technology and talent uh, to help you control um, and um, 
manage the first mile as effectively as you focus on the final mile are critical components of a company's agility and ability to be resilient in, in chaotic times in the face of challenges. Um, I don't think uh, too many people's warehouse shipping operations were really challenged uh, by COVID as fundamentally as their inbound container shipping operations were. Uh, and so um, this, this increased awareness of the importance of the first mile of ocean and air logistics, of working with your suppliers, working with your forwarders, with your 3PLs, um, having the tools for visibility to where your goods are in the world um, is, is going to be critical. Uh, the emphasis has been on lean inventories, on you know, uh, squeezing out carrying costs uh, of inventory by having sort of just-in-time inbound transportation uh, from your overseas suppliers. Uh, you can't run that kind of a strategy when global shipping is as chaotic and as increasingly unreliable in terms of delivery date estimates uh, as it has become. Uh, so we're going to be shifting away from lean inventory strategies for a while and looking at larger safety and buffer inventories. What do you think this means for the future of the shipper-carrier relationship? We've seen that a lot of our Nexus customers and in the broader market as well are closing their ocean carrier contracts earlier and at much higher prices uh, than they ever have before, just to assure capacity uh, for their goods um, coming from overseas into their, um, their end markets. And I think this um, trade-off between uh, driving freight spend ever lower and assuring that the service levels that you have from your carriers and partners actually meet the business needs of the organization um, is, is going to have more visibility than ever before. So I think this relentless uh, adversarial position between shippers and carriers, where shippers are always trying to drive the rates down and carriers are always desperately trying to claw a profit out of it, that's shifted, I think, on a fundamental basis. And uh, we see more and more uh, shippers that are going out of their way to share capacity needs forecasts, their book of orders, their expected shipping for the next six uh, weeks, two months, uh, three, four, five, six months with their carriers so that carriers have hard data on which to plan their um, improved asset utilization as well too. And I think we're all moving as an industry to more of a um, a perspective of cooperation and uh, shared business value, uh, maybe longer term relationships, uh, maybe shorter term relationships, but uh, based on uh, more fundamental, deeper sharing of uh, business information to make sure that there's value for both parties in those relationships. It's encouraging to hear you say that. I'm always looking for the potential for paradigm shift, and especially after this year. But prioritizing collaboration can shift to um, nice to have when it isn't showing immediate benefits. Right. That, that's another corollary between my, my, my years in trucking as well, too, is that as uh, cyclical as the concept of becoming a shipper of choice is whenever capacity is tight, it evaporates almost as quickly and companies lose the um, uh, 
the, the will or the corporate support to continue with those initiatives when pricing pressure flips back on the shipper side again and they begin uh, you know, looking for cheaper carriers rather than honoring the, the relationships that they, uh, they um, tried to build during the tight times. Um, I hope that does not play out in the ocean world. Um, I don't think it will, uh, just because of the fewer number of players uh, and the, um, the, the different structure in uh, global freight versus domestic freight. So. so on the horizon, we have clearly not a return to normal, but a return to more stable. Right. However, a different environment and from a business perspective, one that has a higher profile. So I have a two-part question about what we will be facing, both potential expansion and roadblocks. To start, what are the areas of rethinking, perhaps around final mile or business relationships or a completely different area that you are most excited about? Wow, those are uh, interesting topics. Uh, I'm excited that um, the C-suite has become aware of the International Logistics Department. So in Fornexus, um, the, the group that I was uh, deeply embedded with within the Infor company, of course, has a, a reputation as a global commerce platform, um, you know, network suppliers, uh, purchase order management, uh, as well as international logistics capabilities. Uh, there are a number of leading LSPs and forwarders that use our platform as well to do origin order management services with overseas suppliers on the behalf of customers and uh, in Europe and, and North America. Um, but the, the importance of these relationships uh, of this segment of the business as a component of supply chain seems to have been shrinking um, in recent years with the corresponding uptick in uh, emphasis in parcel shipping and e-commerce and direct to consumer and so forth. Um, and so uh, I, I'm happy to see the pendulum swinging back from this frenzied uh, thinking about the final mile uh, and what kind of a new TMS, what sort of new delivery paradigm do we have to put our goods in the customer's trunks of their cars kind of a thing that's swinging back to realizing that um, the journey to the end customer actually begins overseas with your suppliers or across the country with your suppliers. It's not just from your warehouses or from your stores to them. Uh, and companies have to begin thinking holistically about their inbound and their outbound flows and how sometimes it's that, um, that overlooked middle mile that really gives you the potential for um, moving the needle either in terms of uh, cost containment in the face of, of, of high uh, rate pressures and cost pressures from forces you can't control, uh, as well as improving the customer, com uh, customer experience, um, making sure that you're equipped to compete effectively with um, uh, the likes uh, of an Amazon delivery network, uh, and you can do so profitably. Um, and that your customers appreciate the value of what you're providing for them. So it is, yeah, the, the newfound awareness of a, a holistic thinking about um, supply chain logistics and transportation in particular, and how the final mile problem really begins with the first mile. And now the second part, what about challenges that might hold us back? 
there's a question posed to me just the other day as well if i could call out uh, what I thought a significant change might be uh, either in supply chain technology or in um, uh, perhaps the the flows of product, let's say fundamental processes in, in global freight and shipping. I'd have to say it is uh, the convergence of supply chain technologies um, from the logistics side into inventory planning, uh, into the procurement arm, uh, into customer service operations, um, it, it, uh, it seems to me that one of the untapped areas for value in um, supply chain leadership is in uh, integrating the essential role of moving your goods or your raw materials from their origins to where you need to do something with them if you're a manufacturer and you're bringing in parts or raw materials or into your customers' hands um, if you're uh, primarily a buyer and reseller of goods or a brand owner and have things manufactured overseas. Um, the, the real business value is going to come not from finding a better TMS or a better inventory planning solution uh, or a, um, a richer e-commerce platform. It's going to be from breaking down the, the barriers and the silos between all of these discrete elements of um, technology in the supply chain and figuring out how to take friction out of all of the interacting processes uh, in the supply chain so that you're reducing dwell time, you're reducing the time it takes to fulfill an order, the time it takes to move a product from one corner of the world to the other by having visibility into what all of those components are, by being able to collaborate with your partners and service providers, by having your WMS communicate with your yard management system uh, and your dock scheduling system and your TMS and your customer service system uh, so that even when your uh, customer service people are taking orders or quoting to customers, they're instantly pulling valid rates for what it's going to cost to get those, uh, those, those shipments into the hands of customers. And you can execute against that quoted freight price and, and delivery service. Um, all of that is only going to be possible when we see um, the barriers breaking down between these discrete solutions and companies begin to think holistically about the process needs across the supply chain and how logistics is the, uh, the connecting factor that moves your goods from wherever they originate in the world to uh, getting into your hands, the hands of your customers um, and uh, taking what used to be sort of a back office process and elevating it into a seat at the table of supply chain planning, decision-making uh, and strategy going forward. So while siloed information isn't the only problem, this would open up the possibilities? I think a global supply chain in and of itself means that we are at the women mercy of so many potential disruptive forces from geopolitical strife, tariffs, uh, military action, to weather, to climate change, uh, to um, 
sustainability issues, um, labor shortages, health crises, volcanoes, typhoons, all of these things uh, that uh, you always will have skilled people at the core of supply chains who keep things running, who keep things moving. I think what will change is that the tools that we provide those skilled people with uh, are going to become ever more connected, um, ever more integrated from the perspective of how they generate value for these people, how they support better decision-making, faster decision-making, how they help um, supply chain talent, that human capital, uh, leverage experience and expertise and their intelligence and decision-making skills uh, to make better, faster decisions um, that keep the company profitable, that keep it competitive, that keep it moving forward. Um, that for me is the, the promise. It's the, the potential for human benefit from converged supply chain technology to help the people who do a very difficult job, which I expect to become only more difficult going into the future, um, uh, not dread coming into work every day, but feeling confident that they have the tools to counter whatever is going to be thrown at them that day. Thanks so much for taking the time to sit down with me today, Monica. Your insight is always great to hear. It's a pleasure speaking with you, Alessandra. Thanks very much for this. Beyond TPM is a production of the JOC, part of the Maritime and Trade Division of IHS Market. For more news, analysis, and business intelligence for all things shipping and logistics, visit JOC.com and follow us on social media.